Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. God made us as relational beings. He shaped us that we thrive in community, and he set up our brains in such a way that we learn best from being around people, which is why, as a church, we put such a strong emphasis on groups. And that's what I'm going to be pressing into a bit deeper this morning. So given what I've illustrated there about the the likelihood of you actually remembering and retaining anything of what I have to share, why don't we start by praying and asking the Holy Spirit to move. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to to look at your word. We pray that as I speak, that it would be your words that, Holy Spirit, you would speak into people's hearts and into the situations that we find ourselves in and remind us of the purpose and the benefit of being connected into community with your people. Lord, as I speak, just let this find good soil to land in and help us be able to apply the word. Amen. So over the the past few weeks in church, if you've been coming along, you'll have heard us look at the idea of sharing your faith, growing as disciples, and loving our neighbor. And those aren't things that God intends for us to do alone. As we've already alluded to, we're at the start of a new school year, a time when various activities get started back up again. A time when, in theory, you'd be thinking about putting away the the summer clothes that you no longer need and getting out the warmer clothes that, in theory, you haven't needed over the last few months. Uh, We, as a church, we've just switched our air conditioning over to heat mode for the the next few months. Uh, Possibly a little premature based on today's weather, but I'm sure it'll be not too long before we are benefiting from that, that heat. So it's a great time in this season of new starts and fresh transitions to start thinking again about participating in groups and making that a priority in the season ahead. Uh, As I've said about putting the the heat on, uh, this time of year, whenever we get into the autumn months and it's a crisp day, it's nice to to come in from a walk and sit by the, the fire. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy building a good fire, poking at it, putting stuff on, watching it burn and thankfully breakouts on, so I don't have to worry about accidentally encouraging any of our youth to play with fire. But one of the things I've noticed with fires is that whenever you build it up and you put coal on it, the coals, they burn really hot. And if you get good quality coal, it'll burn for a few hours if it's in the fire. But whenever you take a set of tongs and lift the coal out, maybe if you're trying to to move the fire across and spread it, often if you lift the coal out and move it to another part of the stove, it can quickly die out whenever it's taken away from the main fire. And it got me thinking that groups can be a bit like fire and we can be a bit like coal. You see, whenever we're engaged with and participating in groups, we can burn bright. But when we try to do it on our own, without the support of a group of fellow believers around us, very often our our passion and our zeal for God can quickly die out. So before I go too far into the message, I want to share some passages from the Bible that speak about the importance of groups to, to serve as an anchor for everything that I'm going to share. Often whenever I speak here, I'll unpack a chapter from the Bible and look at what it has to say to us. But this morning's message is going to be a little different. Rather than look at one passage, I want to look at the theme of groups right the way through the Bible. It's only 1,189 chapters long, so it should be fine, right? I want to help you see that the mandate for having groups, it comes from God. It's not a cultural thing. It's not some thing that philosophy has taught us works. It's it's not a strategy that a few of us have come up with as a way to, to get out of putting the children to bed for a few hours a week. This is something that's always been God's plan and intent. We see that right in the very start of Genesis. Firstly, God contains community within his very nature. Though there's only one God, he consists of three persons who've loved each other for all eternity. 
And we see in Genesis 1 and in John 1 that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all present and participating in the act of creation. Then in Genesis 2, verse 18, God says of Adam, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, obviously, on one level, God's talking about the marriage relationship between Adam and Eve. But I believe more generally, God didn't intend for any of us to do life in isolation, regardless of our relationship status. In Genesis 17, we see that God called Abraham and his descendants to follow him. And later, those descendants formed into 12 tribes or groups as the nation of Israel. In Exodus 18, verse 25, we see Moses again splits the people of Israel into groups, groups of a thousand, a hundred, fifty, or ten people, each that has a leader responsible for them to help them understand God's laws and decrees and how they're to live and behave in light of God's instructions. Now, within our church context, most of our groups are going to be more at the ten range of numbers membership-wise, purely for the practical reason that most of our groups meet in houses. And I don't know about you, but I know my neighbors wouldn't appreciate 50 cars trying to get parked outside. Never mind the fact that there's very few of us have a, a sitting room that could fit 100, never mind 1,000. Then moving on to 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 to 38, we're given a whole list of King David's mighty men. It's filled with 37 impossible to pronounce names that I'm not even going to try and attempt. But I know that there's quite a few in our church family currently who are pregnant. So if you're looking for unique biblical baby names, that's a chapter to, to really press into tonight. Um, but King David, he's a person who's described as a man after God's own heart. He was the, the shepherd boy who killed the giant Goliath and grew up to be king. Probably the, the greatest king that Israel ever had. He had fame. He had riches. He had a deeply intimate relationship with God. He wrote a lot of the book of Psalms, all those rich worship lyrics that even today worship leaders are plagiarizing and passing off as new tunes. And what we see in this passage, as you look through all those different 37 names, is that despite all that David had going for him, he still saw the importance of having that group around him, those small band of people that he most trusted to fight alongside him, to do life with, people who helped him see the Lord bring about great victories. Job, he went through various, very severe trials in his life, and we see that whenever he did that, his response was to gather a group of friends to seek support and wisdom. Now, unfortunately, none of them had done their R8 group leader training, so there was some pretty dubious advice given, but it was still the principles there that whenever you go through trials, get in a group. And thankfully, our group leaders have gone through training. We've given them curriculums and study guides, so you, you don't need to worry about getting dodgy advice here. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, during the life of Jesus, we see him travel around Israel, visiting villages, towns, and cities, preaching to vast crowds, healing many as he went, and miraculously feeding thousands. And yet, right at the very start of his time of ministry, we see that he very intentionally called 12 men to follow him closely, to learn from him, to be his disciples, to walk in his footsteps, and to be effectively a small group that met pretty much 24-7 for the three years of his ministry. Now, quick reassurance, we're not expecting that sort of commitment and devotion from you in our groups. Most of our groups will be 90 minutes, maybe two hours at maximum, once a fortnight. So don't worry, we're not calling you to completely give 24-7 commitments just to your group. We are calling you to give 24-7 commitment to Jesus, but not to your group. And within that group of 12, there was an even smaller group of three disciples, the inner core, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus involved them in a, an even more intimate manner, giving them a front row seat to, to some of the miracles that others in the group didn't get to see. 
In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus teaches us that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I, Jesus, am among them. So what we see here is that Jesus doesn't just care about the big gatherings. He cares for the small group meetings too. He cared enough to invest deeply into the life of three and the life of 12, not just the, the crowds of 5,000. Then looking at the example of the early church, we see an account of how they operated in Acts 2, 42 to 47. We're told, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then further in Acts 5, verse 42, we're told, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So what we see here is right from the start, from day one of the church as we know it, it wasn't just meeting in the temple or a church building once a week. They were meeting in each other's houses throughout the week too. And we see that these group gatherings were intentional. They weren't just gathering for the sake of gathering. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were learning what it meant to be more like Jesus, to be his disciples. When it says they were devoted, that means they were committed. They were consistent. It wasn't an optional extra for them. This was something that they saw as essential for them in growing and maturing as disciples. It wasn't just for whenever they felt like it, for whenever they had a bit of spare time. It was a regular, ongoing part of their life because they prioritized and valued it because of the fruit that they saw come from it. Then through the letters of Paul, as he unpacks how we are to live out the Christian life, we see again and again that he highlights the importance of living out our faith together in community as a group rather than alone. You see, God hasn't called us to be a lone ranger Christian. He's brought us into family, into his community. Paul teaches us in Galatians 5, verse 13, to serve one another, and in Romans 12, verse 10, to be devoted to one another. And the author of the book of Hebrews encourages us in Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. In fact, as you go through the New Testament, over 50 times, there's a command to do something to one another. So I'm not going to go through each and every one of them. You'll be glad to hear. But on a typical Sunday morning in a large church gathering like this, we're not going to be able to faithfully live out all those one another commands. However, in the community of a small group, that's where we can live out the commands to love one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, and to carry one another's burdens. So as I've gone through that overview of what the Bible has to say about groups, some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, that's well and good, but groups just aren't for me. Maybe you see small groups as being for the ultra-keen, for the real holy Jews. Maybe you worry that you wouldn't fit in. Maybe you're afraid of saying the wrong thing or getting an answer wrong. Maybe you're anxious that you'd be asked to, to read or pray out loud. Maybe you just feel that life's too busy in this season and you don't have time to add something else into the mix. Maybe you're still trying to figure out what you believe and whether you actually do believe that Jesus is Lord. And the whole idea of having to go to groups during the week as well as church on a Sunday is starting to sound a little bit cult-like. 
my hope this morning is that I'm going to be able to try and convince you of the importance of groups and also hopefully dispel some of those fears that you might have about going to group for the first time. Maybe you don't feel ready to join a study group. And the good news is that as a church, we also have social groups such as football and crafts, and we have serving groups, both of which will give you space to really begin to get to know some of the members of our church and get to have a relaxed environment to test the water before you join a study group down the line. Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, I'm fine, I've already got my group of close friends, I don't need a church group. However, the thing with our friends is they tend to be like us. Research in the, the New England Journal of Medicine has shown that you'll tend to gain weight if your friends gain weight and lose weight if your friends lose weight. See, the, the thing is, we become like our friends and they become like us. It can become a very homogenous group that all think the same way and act the same way. But within a group, we meet with different people from different perspectives and we can learn from their experiences. I know personally, when I think of my friends, quite a lot of them came from my school days and we all liked the same music, watched the same movies, and then have a, a few friends who are dads, who have children that are a similar age to me. And I suppose technically I was friends with them before we had children, but definitely having children at similar times and going through the pain of Coco Melon and Peppa Pig certainly has strengthened those friendships. But in both those cohorts of friends, they're very similar to me. We had similar childhood experiences. Sometimes we even went to the same school with similar levels of education, similar income levels. We probably vote in similar ways and give or take a few gray hairs here and there for the friends who don't yet have children. We all look fairly similar. But within a church group, you get the opportunity to interact with people who you wouldn't necessarily self-select to be your friends. You get to learn from different experiences. There's diversity. And within that diversity, we get to experience more of the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus didn't just come to save people who look like you and talk like you. He came to be the light of the whole world, to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation, people from every social class and political tribe. And within groups, we get that chance to spend some time with people that you otherwise maybe wouldn't have any regular interactions with. And that in itself can be a powerful witness to those around us of the power of the gospel to overcome everything that tries to divide us in this day and age, even to your neighbors looking and seeing the, the various cars coming to your house, or if you're talking to people in work and they're asking about who you're hanging out with that night, it's a great way to show them the power of the gospel, bringing people together across all the divisions that we have in society today. And after all, if we're going to be with those people for all eternity in heaven, you may as well take the time to get to know them now. So I want to take a few minutes now to look at the limits of a sermon. I appreciate that that may sound like a, a strange point to make within a sermon, but bear with me. Obviously, we've had our back-to-school dedication this morning, and at this time of year, as children get settled back into the routine of school, you can hear the, the sigh of relief from parents who no longer have to entertain their children all day for the two months of the summer. It's funny, isn't it, that whenever you were a child, the two months of summer never felt like long enough, and whenever you have kids, you can't wait for it to be over and them to be back at school. Massive respect to the teachers within our church family with all that late night lesson planning and homework marking. I'm just glad that you're actually now back at work and earning a living properly. <laughs> I myself have done a bit of learning within the sphere of education. Master's degree actually with, with distinction, but that's not relevant to the point I'm making. The that degree, it was focused on clinical education, on education for medical students and healthcare professionals. And one of the things that they taught us was about adult learning styles. Turns out that the, the least effective way for an adult to learn is via lectures. 
I appreciate there's a certain irony in me sharing that point with you in a sermon, which is effectively a lecture. I appreciated the irony somewhat less when I was paying Queen's University thousands of pounds to be told it in a lecture. <laughs> now, universities as we know them today, they've existed for at least 900 years, and right the way throughout that time, the main way that they've taught is via lectures. If you went to university, you probably sat through more than a few lectures, or at least you were timetable to. Whether or not you went to, that's another matter. You're in church, so you can't lie here. You might have been able to fool your parents, but you can't lie to God. He knows what your student loan was actually spent on. <laughs> there was a recent meta-analysis done on 225 different studies into university teaching methods, comparing the traditional lecture format with active learning approaches, and they found that students were 1.5 times more likely to fail their exams if they were taught by lectures rather than active learning. It turns out that we retain about 10% of what we hear in a lecture. And obviously, within a church context, the way our services are set up, we have a message each week which is effectively a lecture. That's been the case since the very start of the church. We see on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a powerful message that someone somewhere was paying enough attention to to record and write down for us. But the sad truth for me speaking to you this morning is that the vast majority of what I share is going to be forgotten by most of us before we even walk out the door to the car park. And here's the thing, I'm not saying we need to do away with sermons. Sorry if anyone was hoping that's where this message was leading. <laughs> but what I am saying is we can't rely on sermons alone. You see, sermons do have an important role to play. Probably throughout my life, I've heard somewhere in the region of 5,000 sermons, and whilst individually I couldn't recall much from most of them, the cumulative effect of regularly listening to God's word being taught and unpacked has been profound in my life. But we need to be aware that merely listening to a sermon once a week or even once a day is only going to have limited impact. You see, what the research shows is that the way adults learn best is through active learning. Not monologues from an expert, but discussion, dialogue, and focused conversation around a topic. Which, as chance would have it, is exactly how our study groups are structured. You see, it's through participation in groups that you're going to be encouraged, challenged, and supported in actually living out the truth of God's Word. The real impact comes whenever the message of God's Word moves from being head knowledge to heart knowledge, as it moves from being merely facts that we can recall to being truth that we live out. It's when the truth of God's Word gets applied within our lives that we see breakthrough and transformation. And obviously, within a sermon, we can share general application points but everyone's context is different. Everyone has different trials and struggles and everyone needs to think through and work out for themselves what way they need to apply the truth of God's word. And by the way, we, we all need to work on something. This side of heaven, we're, we're all in a process called sanctification, which is the daily process of becoming more like Jesus. This journey of discipleship, becoming more like Jesus, requires us to wrestle with God's word for ourselves and to look for the personal application. And often the best place to do that is within a group. Obviously, you can try and do it by yourself, but there's several significant advantages to doing it in a group. Firstly, the group keeps you accountable. Sitting at home alone, you might have great intentions of doing a Bible study, but often you can find yourself distracted by everything else around you. But whenever you're at a group at someone else's house, it's a bit harder and a bit more awkward to sit and stick, stick on Netflix. Secondly, whenever you're part of a group that tends to, to lead, it tends to lead to you studying more widely than you would by yourself. You see, within our study groups, there's generally a, a guide and a bit of a curriculum to go through. 
that is going to guide your discussion and make sure that you don't just stick to the same few comfortable passages that you know well, but rather encourages you to explore topics and themes that are going to help you grow and not just remain where you are at currently. Thirdly, whenever you gather as a group to consider how to live out your Christian faith, it keeps you going the right direction. The Bible is confusing at times. It can be easy to veer off in the wrong direction. And within the group, there's going to be people there who can help you course correct if you get it wrong. The group allows you to learn from the experiences of others, learning lessons from their mistakes so that you don't have to make them for yourself. And it also helps you see fresh perspectives and applications that you might well have missed if you did try to do it alone. And lastly, doing it as a group is more fun. At my group, we also have a good laugh as well as looking at the serious Bible studies, mainly at Dylan's expense, to be fair. So having looked at the limits of a sermon and introduced you to adult learning styles, I want to consider the science behind groups. In my day job, I'm a psychiatrist. One of my patients this week actually referred to me as the leading psychiatrist, and much as I would like to make that stick, it probably isn't the most accurate title. But I have been working in psychiatry for a long time and have a fair bit of experience. And one thing that I've seen time and time again is that a big reason people can develop difficulties with their mental health is due to lost connections. You see, we live in a, a very individualistic society. Yes, you might have thousands of Facebook friends and Instagram stalkers, but how many true deep friends do you really have? We talked last week about the importance of loving your neighbor, but in this day and age, how many of us even know the name of our neighbor? How often do we interact with them, apart from whenever Amazon's left our package at their house? Many of the social connections that people had in days gone by are now gone or weakened. The psychologist Jordan Peterson put it like this, Loss of group-centered belief renders life chaotic, miserable, intolerable. Presence of a group-centered belief makes conflict with other groups inevitable. In the West, we have been withdrawing from our tradition, religion, and even nation-centered cultures, partly to decrease the danger of group conflict, but we're increasingly falling prey to the desperation of meaningless. And that is no improvement at all. So that's Jordan Peterson's words there. And that loss of social connection can cause us to try and fill that emptiness with all sorts of other things, alcohol, drugs, sex, but those things never truly satisfy, and they just leave you seeking a bigger and bigger high until one day you crash. Whenever someone comes into me and work with an addictions issue, there's treatment that I can give them. I can get them withdrawn safely with the help of medication, but ultimately, it's only a short-term solution. When they get discharged, often they end up going straight back to the same illicit substances. You see, what the scientific research shows us is that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection having a sense of belonging and meaning within your life. And there's no medication that I can give you that's going to give you that. But being part of a group will give you connection, purpose, and meaning. Psychology also suggests that being a member of a group uh, gives you a greater degree of satisfaction with life, better physical health, you live longer, you have better self-esteem, better mental health, and being in a group provides opportunities to learn from the experience of others that we wouldn't otherwise have learned by ourselves. So those are just some of the benefits that psychology research has identified from groups in general, not church-specific groups, just any group. And I don't know about you, but those alone are pretty compelling reasons to, to get in a group, never mind all the spiritual benefits that come from being within a group. So let me share some of my own experiences with church groups. Probably for the, the past 20 years or so, I've been involved in some way with church-related groups, both as a participant and as a leader. And what I've learned is there's huge power in groups. I find them to be profoundly helpful in helping me grow as a follower of Jesus. It's so beneficial to have that space to come and to bring your questions, to, 
discuss a passage from the Bible, and not just to discuss it in a, a dry theoretical manner, but to actually probe into it and also to eat some great buns. You see, one of the things that I do at my group is I bake buns, and we have those at the start of the session, so it's not just dry theological chat, there's, there's also some tasty treats. And obviously next week you'll see a whole list of different groups that you can sign up for, and I would encourage you to, to look at the, the study topics that they're looking at and decide which is the most relevant to your current walk with God. But just throwing it out there, how many other groups are offering s'mores, chocolate brownies, or giant Oreo ice cream cake? <laughs> so as a group leader, it's been a real blessing seeing people grow through being part of a group. In recent seasons of our group, what we've seen is people who've maybe been attending church but weren't all that connected and active start coming to our group. People who maybe had been slipping in and out on a Sunday were starting to, to come to group and really open up in the discussion. I've seen people who maybe had been coming to church because their partner was dragging them along on a Sunday, and maybe it was their partner was also dragging them along to group, but through the conversation, they really came alive as they were welcomed, as people listened to them and heard their story and were able to maybe address some of their questions. And now some of them are even serving on team here, really living out their faith in a fresh way. I've seen relationships form and even marriages. Dylan might tell you he was attending my group for the study, or if he's being honest, possibly the buns. But whenever Kirthana started coming, suddenly, rather than studying the book of Numbers, he wanted to exchange phone numbers. <laughs> There's multiple people that I could name here now serving on team here at R8 who their first real journey and their first real step into that process of getting active in their faith has been groups being used by God as a tool for their personal growth. It's not just theory. I've seen it in my living room on a cold, wet night in Portadown. So... We've seen that biblically there's a principle, we should do life in groups. We've seen that based on education theory, there's merit in having groups. We've seen that the scientific research shows that they have benefit. But what specifically are we trying to achieve by having groups in church? Why not just send you off to, to find a group in your workplace or in your local sports club of choice? Why do we as a church feel the need to run groups whenever there's already plenty of great opportunities for community out there within Portadown? Well, ultimately, it all comes down to the why at the heart of our groups. The reason that we run groups is discipleship. We have a range of different groups that take different forms, with hopefully something for everyone. But at the heart of every group, be it a study group, a social group, or a serving group, the reason they exist is to make disciples. You see, as a church, we don't believe that all you need to do is pray a prayer one time and then sit back and wait for heaven. We believe that God's called us to something more than that. Our end goal isn't to get people into a group. Our hope and prayer is that by being in a group, discipleship happens, and you become more like Jesus, and then go out into the world, having found your purpose, and start making a difference. We believe that the, the heart of groups is found in Jesus' instruction to us in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. That's the heart of groups. That's why we do what we do. The heart is making disciples, seeing people grow in their faith, deepen their relationship with Jesus, or possibly taking the first steps into a relationship with Jesus. At R8, our hope is that our groups are a place where no one's going to feel alone. Here on a Sunday morning, it can be easy to slip in and out at the back, arriving a few minutes late and slipping out straight away to pick up your kids and rushing off without even having a conversation. But in the smaller setting of a group, you not only get to know some people, but you'll also get known by them. Within our groups, it's a place where pastoral care can happen, 
where whenever you're in a season of rejoicing, people around you can rejoice with you. But whenever you're going through trials and difficulties, people around you can weep with you and support you through it. In our groups, it's a safe zone to ask questions and go deeper. No one's going to judge you for having questions or for not knowing everything. Now, don't get me wrong, groups isn't a, all, it's not all plain sailing or a walk in the park. Being an active participant who gets the most out of being in a group is going to require sacrifice. There's going to be weeks when it feels inconvenient, when you have a lot on at work or you get an invite out with your friends and you'd rather go to that. There's going to be people in your group that you probably wouldn't have picked to be in a group with. And if you can't identify that person in your group, the others in the group have probably identified you as that person. But what I want to encourage you is that we, we need to stick at it. We need to value and prioritize groups. They're not just an optional add-on for when we feel like it. They're a tried and proven method that God uses to help us grow as disciples. And if we're serious about seeing transformation, both in our own lives and in the lives of those around us, then we need to commit to participating in group life and letting the Holy Spirit use them to mature and strengthen us. As we move towards a conclusion, if you forget everything else that I've shared, and let's be honest, based on what I've shared already, you probably will forget everything else based on education theory. The one big takeaway I want you to remember is you need the group, but also the group needs you. It's not a one-way thing. It's not a case of you go to group and you will benefit. The group will also benefit from you being there. You see, your story can help someone. Your experiences can speak into someone else's life. What God has been teaching you can encourage others within the group. You might not feel like you've much to offer, but even just the fact that you are there, listening to someone share what they're going through, it's going to be supportive to them. Maybe you feel like you've been around the block a few times and you know all there is to know about the Christian life. Spoiler alert, you're probably wrong. But regardless, even if you feel that you don't have much to learn personally from the group, you'll have lots to share with the younger believers in that group who are going to benefit from your experience and life lessons. Maybe you're a totally new Christian and you've only recently given your life to Jesus. You don't feel that you've anything to contribute to the group. But your presence there is going to be a real blessing to both the leader and to the others at the group as you bring a fresh perspective and fresh questions that force them to think deeper about what it is that we believe. And it's going to be a real encouragement to the other members of the group as they see you grow and mature and start to discover the purpose that God has made you for. So regardless of where you're at, the group as a whole is going to be richer because of your presence. Remember, you need the group and also the group needs you. And remember too that while the group relationship is important, What's more important is your relationship with Jesus. You see, without a personal relationship with Jesus, the groups will never be more than a social club. But with a relationship with Jesus at the core, groups, groups are going to be life-giving and transformative. We worship a God who's always been about community. We worship a God who desires for us to be in relationship both with him and with his people. We worship a God who doesn't just desire to be in relationship with him who doesn't just desire for us to be in a relationship with him, but who actually took that practical and costly step of coming down to earth, taking on human form and dying on a cross in our place to make it possible for us to be restored into relationship with him. So as we draw to a close this morning, the application is simple. It's a call to join a group. As a church, our desire is to see people grow and mature as disciples of Jesus. Groups are simply a tool that helps with that. They aren't the only tool God has given us. Attending a group won't automatically make you a mature follower of Jesus who never makes a mistake again. There are other tools that God has given us to help us grow, but groups are a powerful tool that does help. Ultimately, however, my goal is not to point you to a group. I stand here to point you to Jesus. Don't miss the why at the center of it all. I'm not just encouraging you to join a group for the sake of being able to say next Sunday that we've had a, a bumper group sign up with everyone in a group. 
I'm encouraging you to join a group so that it can help you grow closer to Jesus. My encouragement to you in the, the season ahead is to, to get into a group, wherever you've been in one for years or if you've always conveniently needed to leave early whenever we've done group signups before, I want to encourage you when we launch the next cohort next week, go through the list, ask the Holy Spirit to, to guide you into what group would be most relevant to where you're at right now in your walk with God and take that next step. If you've never been in a church group, let me just dispel a few fears. Before we let anyone lead a group, we would put them through training, so you're not going to get any weird leaders out there. You're not going to be put on the spot and asked to do anything uncomfortable. You're not going to be forced to, to read out loud or pray on your first night. You're not going to be legally bound to return if you go to a group and it's not a good fit for you. The group leader won't be offended if you switch to another group. They are going to finish at the advertised time and you're not going to be trapped there all night. Maybe some of you are thinking, it's all well and good, but I've got kids. It's going to be difficult for me and my partner. We're not paying a babysitter just to go out to a church group. But fortunately, a couple of suggestions. When you see the list of groups next week, there's groups on various nights of the week. So you and your partner could take a group one night each, or you could alternate weeks and one go one week, one the next. Or down the line, maybe even think about hosting a group. My wife, Cheriff, and I, we found that that was a great way of making sure that we were both able to attend groups and not have to worry about our children because in theory they were asleep upstairs whilst we were hosting the group downstairs. Didn't always work out that way whenever Dylan was coming, ringing the doorbell loudly. <laughs> but if you have any other fears or reasons that you don't think groups are for you, please do come and speak to me afterwards or come during the week and send a message to the church because we would love to offer you reassurance and direct you to a group that maybe is going to be a, a good fit for where you're at right now. I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, to simply give groups a go in the season ahead and see how God uses them to help you grow in your faith. hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.